Well, as I wake up and feel the sunshine and spark my mind's as clear now as the alpines, I'm feeling so good. Time for me to unwind. Let all these problems slip right off of my spine. I got this feeling, feeling like I can't be stopped, and I won't until I find myself on top. And I know, I know that I will be the someday. Until then, I might be just being on my way. On my way, I'm feeling fine. Another day is left behind. On my Inside Out with Turner and Seth. And we're going to take you to the Sweetwater Music Festival. Sweetwater 420 Music Festival, brah. Crack open a beer. Time to get here. Listen up, y'all. This is a festival that's grown very organically from a humble beginnings to one of the premier festivals in Atlanta at this point. Oh, my God. Do you remember back uh, when there was just at Oakhurst? We talked about this on the show, I think. Didn't yeah, we? yeah. Yeah. Okay. So just go tune in back to what we talked about. I, don't even, I have no idea. <laughs> when. Oh man, I Rob, you are right. So let me give you listeners a description of what Sweetwater 420 Festival is. Downtown Atlanta, Centennial Park, in the heart, dead center of Atlanta, on the grassy field, and the Paved new pavement where they have bricks with people's names on it who contributed to the building of this complex called Centennial Park, which is surrounded by hotels right across the street from the historic, legendary Tabernacle, which is a venue, greatest shows on earth there. And we got to stay at the Double Tree Hotel thanks to Live for Live Music. Thank you. Thank you, guys. And that's where we were able to conduct interviews. We had to pull these artists away from the festival. They were very, very kind. Um, this will be our first uh, with Jared of the Dirty Heads. We also have Jennifer Hartswick of uh, who works with Trey Anastasia and Christian McBride. That was a, all the interviews were really fun. Um, and, and John Phillips and John Phillips, yeah, that's right. John Phillips, he's, who's of Silverback Management, and he discovered Sublime. He's the manager of Slightly Stupid, a great band. He manages Fishbone. We get into Fishbone. We had to talk about Fishbone. Oh, Angelo, yeah. yes, mad props to Angelo. Love you. And uh, this, the festival, let's talk a little bit about the Sweetwater 420 Festival because it has grown into uh, this large, large festival. This year it had headliners, uh, Trey Anastasio Band and Widespread Panic doing two nights, Saturday and Sunday. I like that there was uh, seemed to be less sound bleed this year than in years in the past. Well, that's because the sound didn't make it to the sides, Rob. <laughs> but uh, Made it well, to my sides. Well, yeah. And there's a comedy tent. There's food. <laughs> no, actual comedy stuff, oh. not, not your stuff. Yeah. That stuff's up in the Catskills. There's food trucks. There's, there was uh, Bojanic. There was, a, you know, kind of a Grateful Dead show like um, yeah, Carnival. Michael Shakedown, Wein- if you will. Would Michael- you call it Shakedown? No, I wouldn't. Uh, photographer Michael Weintraub had his Instrument Head book uh, released there. This book, by the way, folks, if you haven't checked it out, look it online. Instrument Head. Michael Weintraub, the photographer, he's out of Nashville now. He used to be out of New York. He set up a studio and uh, he released his book. This book is a large book which has photographs of... Uh, world-renowned musicians, and they're hidden behind their instruments, hence instrument heads. So truly, like their truly, faces are. Truly original stuff. Who was it we interviewed who had the book with them when, when we saw them and they were marveling at it? Uh, that would have been John Fishman. Ah, oh, how yeah, about the, that? Yeah. That's a, that's a good uh, credit. I mean, Fishman was loving it. 
Yeah, every I mean, Colonel Bruce Hampton, the late Colonel Bruce Hampton, yes, that's wrote a strange... the wrote the um, intro to the book for Wantrop. Oh, Colonel Bruce wrote the intro for Michael. Yeah. Again, shining a light. I don't know. Any of you uh, know we are here in Atlanta, and this Sweetwater Festival was about two or three weeks previous to when we're speaking now. And in the interim time, we've had um, a celebration slash tragedy. Uh, you'll have to just listen to our tribute if you're not familiar, but it's uh, Colonel Bruce Hampton, who's sort of the godfather of, the, of our scene, of the show. Um, amazing and influential person. Mm-hmm. If you go to our tribute, we did a separate episode on them. We conducted interviews on site, and those will come out in their entirety at a later date. But we did a quick little tribute. We may do a part two. Um, we will do a part two. And maybe even a part two. No, you know what? We'll do a part 1.7. But, but <laughs> that's a real tribute there. But the point being that uh, at this festival now seems years away, doesn't it? Since it seems like we've lived a lifetime, even though it was only two weeks ago. Yeah, it really does. The uh, first two days were really nice. The last day was a rainy day. I did not make it on Sunday. I had Jonathan Brill's wedding, which was mazel tov to Jonathan Brill and Liz. Congratulations on your marriage. Well, if we're going to get personal. Get personal. Uh, get up, well, Actually, get up close and I want to shout out to Aaron, uh, Aaron and Celia, who were at Wani. Wani. And yet still came out of their way downtown because that's how much they love break signs. Oh, yeah. God, I, I, we were going to, unfortunately, due to time constraints, we were not able to interview Break Science, but Adam Deitch, you're on our list. We're coming after you, buddy. I mean, they played a, just a killer set, dude. And then a couple members of Lettuce came out at points, uh, although I'm such a guitar dork that once the guitar came out, I didn't want him to leave, mm-hmm. but I got over it. it just fantastic. It was a bummer to miss the beginning of Widespread to see them, but I had to see Break Science. They don't play Georgia yeah. enough. But then I got over to Widespread in time to see... Oh, know, that... That uh, rap, the, yeah, uh, the Hatfield, really nice life during wartime. Didn't we, didn't we talk to jam- someone about the Hatfield jam? Oh, wait a second, we actually talked to the man who made the rap himself, uh, JB. Yeah, and that didn't make the tribute, but, no, that, will but make, that will that, that will make that will make the ultimate John Bell episode. Yeah, the ultimate John Bell episode. Also, Talib Quelly, man. Oh yeah, Talib. Talib, I'm sorry, but I, not only was the set great, but you know, people love to give musicians crap for talking about politics and i understand it 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 can often derail things but talib does it in a way he does it within the body of the song and he kind of makes sense he doesn't say anything stupid you know what i mean he says more unifying things there were one or two things i wouldn't have agreed with but it was it's just so well done he did such a great set jackie green threw down Every time I see Jackie Green, he's awesome. Every single time. I wish we would have had a chance to interview him, but coming off his tour, he too had to. Uh, yeah, trust postpone. trust us, folks. Postpone. Jackie Green had every every reason not to not to do the show. Yeah. Um, interesting fact, though, is that the Sweetwater 420 Fest took place the same weekend as Wani, which is in Florida. We're talking about four and a half, five hour distance, and they had a lot of the similar headliners. Uh, but they, but the bands performed different shows. Uh, they really creating different experiences. Now the thing about Sweetwater 420 Festival, you're in the city of Atlanta. Most people, even if you live here, some people are you know getting hotel rooms. It's a uh, it's a different vibe. I mean, you're you're not camping. You're out in the middle of the city. You're looking at the Ferris wheel. You're looking at the tall buildings. It, it has this nostalgic uh, vibe to it because you're in historic downtown Atlanta, you know? And it's sad sign of the times that I have to add this comment. Uh-oh. Hang on a second, folks. Put your seatbelts on. Here comes the sad rub. It's very well protected by fences and sort. It's very separated from the roads. It would be difficult if... Uh, 
some brainwashed asshole tried to drive something into it. And speak- that, that is a trend, sadly. Yes, that is. But speaking of driving, Rob, Rob had an observation now on the industry side, folks. Uh, I work a lot of music festivals, and one of the biggest things about music festivals and the camping festivals are slow it down, folks. Slow it down, the golf cart drivers. Oh. Uh, you know, this is a huge liability. I mean, I, as a, someone who drives a golf cart at festivals, constantly I have to tell people to slow it down. All right, also, this is a I fan side thing. People, I have to tell people that are wanting to jump on. Fans, Rob. Fan Can side. I get a ride? I have to remind you that no, you can't. Fan side. You go to these festivals. And these golf I mean, a lot of them drive great, but you do usually get around to seeing one or two who think they're a badass and go a little too fast or a little too rude to the pedestrians. I'll tell you what. What? When the festival's in downtown Atlanta uh-huh. and you're driving around the streets of downtown Atlanta, oh, they were on their best behavior. I'll tell you that. <laughs> we do not put up with arrogant golf cart drivers. We will beat you down. So yeah, they, were, they, they responded. They drove well. We didn't have to be a problem. Oh, I see. There's a news bulletin. Yeah, this just in, folks. This just in. Now, I'm sure many of you are hearing this you know, later. But this just came in right now on my desk. And you know how I am a Jam Cruise fanatic. I love Jam Cruise. Uh, one of my favorite events to work. They just announce their lineup well let's talk about that at the end of the episode all right we'll save that let's but get can into I just it. say that they got maceo parker rob i mean and uh, no i'm gonna talk about it real quick naughty <sighs> professor maceo parker steel pulse they're bringing some good stuff back onto jam cruise this year thank you we'll talk about it at the end Stick boring around. oh you know what boring dirty heads fans are bored right now if they're even uh, listening oh, really they're bored of slightly stupid i'm uh, not slightly stupid sorry <laughs> what i meant to say was steel pulse that's what they're saying about you actually no Steel Pulse. They like Steel Pulse. This ah, last time I saw Steel Pulse was at All Good. That was wonderful. They're a great band. I'm glad to see that they're coming to the States. I hope they do other shows. You know, I hope they do a run because I doubt I'll be on Jam Cruise. You never know, but when you talk like that, Rob, I won't even try. Whatever. Whatever. It's not like I'm dying to go. I'd love to go, but it's, it's you know, a hey, lot Rob, involved. Do you, do you want to I'm talk a about, homebody. Do you want to talk about Jam Cruise? <laughs> But let's talk about the Dirty Heads, because Jared... Well, let's first say that we did not expect the beginning of this interview to go the way it did. You know, you do all these notes, but, you know, they're kind of like the songs, and we're an improvisational band. We never know where the music's going to go. And and, um, this one started very different, and it was because I, I thought... A vape was a DJ name or a rapper name? Oh, uh, remember? Yeah, DJ. You remember that? Yeah, don't give it all away. But oh man, Jared, Jared was awesome. Just a point that we like awesome. to we like to leave in when we fall on our faces because we love our listeners. We have listeners. We uh, we're up to I think fifteen now. Okay, uh, if you're number sixteen, email us at insideoutwtns at gmail and you're going to win a prize pack. Sweet sixteen. That's right. When I first met you, darling. So let's talk about. Jared. Oh, what a cool guy. What a cool guy. We went over a lot of things, as you'll hear. Addiction. Uh, about being a, a white guy in a, in a black man's world with regard to black, rap, you know? Yeah. I was surprised you'd never been asked that. I think it's an interesting angle. Well... I think it's a, it, it. It can be challenging. It can be. But uh, you, came, you, came, you came across interesting on that. It's, it was, I think... I want to hear. I want to hear it again. I want to hear our listeners hear it. I want to hear their feedback on on your your take. What yeah, do they think of you? What do they think of you? Well, you. I mean, mind you, that you are from Boston, but you live in the oh, South. I know this is really bad time to be from Boston. <laughs> the most recent thing. I mean, they're yelling the N word at baseball games. What's the deal with that? Well, it turned out it wasn't. No, what's, be, what's it wasn't still? being directed at the athlete. Yeah, I know, and people were like, "Oh." I, <laughs> 
Like, what do you like guys that, yell- like that absolves all, them. Of, why are you yelling that word out at a baseball right. game? First of all, I'm surprised that that you guys didn't say ah, I was a Yankee fan. <laughs> that's your, you know, like it just. Uh, You're listening to Sports Radio with Rob Turner. I mean, if anybody doesn't believe Adam Jones, when CC Sabathia says it too, I mean, CC Sabathia is not going to make that up. He's an honorable guy. I, I, and so is Adam Jones. I mean, come on. And we talked a lot with Jared about the new album and their creation <laughs> process of the new album. You started it. Oh, I do. He's got to start something. Another band that I wasn't that familiar with. I go into the research and I'm completely seduced by their music. Oh, the, my the God. New, the newest record in particular, the yeah, one Rob, that they self-titled. Rob's so funny. I tell Rob about, because, you know, I, I know Dirty Heads from my work with them at... Uh, Closer to the Sun, the uh, slightly stupid Mexico Cloud Nine adventure, and um, Rob was like, ah, he was kind of hesitant at first because you know he's an old man; he doesn't like getting into these new things, you know, new new bands. I'm what? kidding. Rob probably sees more new what bands than anyone I know. But uh, but yeah, it was it was a nice process though because Rob was kind of like, I don't know, he doesn't really know him, and he was you know he really if we're gonna do four interviews, five interviews, he kind of wanted to go into stuff that we already had some history. So you know he does a lot of research and and he dove into this head first. I mean, I put on their new album by the by the time I got two minutes into the second song, the truth, I was like just to- totally into it. I mean, the first track is cool, but that. The Truth is a great track. And then there's a bunch that we use on this episode that you'll hear. Oxygen, Under the Watt. I mean, there's some great stuff on here and some nice hip hop. So new listeners that are coming in, thank you for checking out the show. We hope you enjoy the interview with Jared from the Dirty Heads. And please take a moment, go back into our back catalog, check out some stuff there. This is our 31st episode, I believe. Yeah, 30. Yes, we have 31st episode. So uh, you got 30 things to check out. Uh, and again, Rob, where can they find us on Twitter? Inside Out WTNS. And on Facebook, the same. So, uh, oh, wait, Instagram, Snapchat. Oh, that's right. We're social media folks now. Oh, no, we should shout out to Clancy. Thank you for that. Kendall. And all of our friends that are being supportive to us. So, Ramsey, if you're listening, thank you. But we'll see if she is. Ramsey, if you're listening, email us at insideoutwtns at gmail.com and you could win. A hat signed by Rob. Actually, we have that other, the other uh, contest I wanted to do. But thank you to Kendall and Sarah at Live for Live Music for their social media help as well. Thank you to Josh Thane from Wonder Dog Sound Studios for his engineering work. And yeah, do you want to play where where does Rob screw up and give them a prize package? You want to do that now? There's, or which episode do you want to do that right on? now for this for the Dirty Heads fans who pay attention? Oh. I, I screw one thing up. Uh, email us at insideoutwtnsgmail.com. And we'll put together a prize package for you. All right. I like that. Uh, and we'll make it uh, something that you guys will be excited about. We'll email their publicist and yeah, and uh, uh, see if they can put something together for us. But first, you have to email us. But before you even email us, check it out. Jared, Dirty Heads. He's a good man. Hopped up, ready to begin. Styrofoam MCs keep crumbling. Dirty heads stay tight, couldn't loosen with the branch. These rivers run deep. Mariana Trench picking up speed. Easy round the band, eye on the scope. Target focused in, my guitar is my gun. I strum it like the wind, zoomed in on the pulse of the nation once again. So don't wait for me, my friend. I'm just wasting time again. So day by day, I will move on Can't stop now, it's been too long Day by day, I 
conference room at the Doubletree Hotel, downtown Atlanta. A stone's throw from the Sweetwater Music Festival. 420 we... Festival. You're going to say stone throw. You might as well throw in that it's 420 Festival, Rob. Come it on. Is, it is, today is April 21st, but it's a 420 Fest because in Atlanta, we're lenient. And we are sitting, and, and I want to first say thank you to Jason Stewart and the people at the Doubletree. We'll talk about the hotel, but we showed up, the room wasn't ready, and a, uh, this woman, Nicole, found us Jason Stewart, the f- food and beverage manager, and he gave us uh, access to the conference room for free. So, uh, very, very kind and accommodating of the yes. Doubletree. We'll talk about them more in our segments, because there's exciting things going well, on we'll here. We'll talk about them twice, because, you know, it is the Doubletree, but... Look who we're sitting with, Seth. Look at this. Jared Watson of the Dirty Heads has given us his time. Thank you, Jared. What's up, guys? And we're at a moment where you just announced a collaboration with Sticky Vape. Oh, yeah. Can you tell us who Sticky Vape is and, and uh, what led to this collaboration? Sticky Vape is a, obviously, it's a vape pen company. You know, we vape pen company. They do uh, CBD pens. I totally, I got Indica be, pens, Sativa I it, pens, I, hybrid pens. I thought it was a DJ or a rapper. I didn't realize. Sticky <laughs> Vape is a dope DJ name. I totally thought that was... <laughs> Sticky vape. So, uh, did you, are you sure you did, you're, you're not high, Rob? Yo, yo, sticky. Not yet. <laughs> Later. Sticky when vape in the building. <laughs> yeah, sticky, sticky vape, vape in, in the, the building. building. Everybody no. gather around. Uh, there, I guarantee there's going to be a DJ named Sticky Vape just after this now. For sure. Sticky tape. Sticky. I don't know. There's nothing good there. Sticky um, vape playing the sticky tapes. Yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, we're, we were stoked. to. We met him. We, we've obviously we've been invited to numerous marijuana cup weed cup you know type um, competitions and things like that and like the amount of weed we leave good weed the the not only is it cool to play those the crowd is hilarious because everybody's super stoned so it's not the most raging yeah. crowd but we get like the winner's package oh. like we get the judges packages so we get like all the best weed that they've been testing over you know the, like we get the whole shebang but we met yeah. these guys from sticky vape at one of these and uh we all use vape pens you know you can sm- it's just much easier to smoke a vape pen especially in states where it's not legal and it's not like you're just smoking a joint on the corner or whatever there's not a lot of or countries smoke or countries yeah, well, yeah exactly and um <laughs> Yeah, we did a collab, and I got to pick a strain that I really like. Daddy got to pick a strain that he really likes, and then we did a, just a pure CBD uh, pen because that's just been – I've been on the CBD train for a while, but I've been getting the rest of the guys and some friends on CBD just like, dude, you don't need to take Advil. You don't need to take Tylenol. Just can take- you Can you talk a little bit more about that? I don't think our, all listeners here are going to know what you're what you're. Yes, CBDs okay. are not THC. That's just a different – No, so CBD is the non-psychoactive part. In, in marijuana pretty much and, and the, the, there's the psychoactive part which I believe is the THC and that's what gets you high and then there's CBD which pretty much has all the medicinal values in hemp and marijuana so for me uh, I work out a lot I'm very active I skated for 20 years before I got in the band I'm still skating uh, my joints I've had knee surgery um, just wear and tear and Instead of taking painkillers, instead of taking Tylenol or Aleve or just all this stuff that you'd have to take all day, my friend turned me on to some CBD stuff where I was like, oh, man, I don't feel like getting high today, but, you know, I know weed helps with pain. We'd be like, you should try CBD. 
and I took it in liquid form and it worked wonders. And I was like, maybe this is just a placebo. So I started giving it to my dad who has arthritis and then we started getting balms and then, and then we'd started becoming legal in more places. So CBD started becoming more popular. So it's just an alternative way for, for pain relief, for anxiety, but you're not high. You don't get high. It has no mm. psychoactive element. And it's not as well known because I, I actually had a foray into selling this briefly before Seth stole me to do this podcast and it's so tightly regulated that they're not yeah. allowed to make claims because the lobbyists for what would be competitors for some of these products that kill pain but have awful side effects yeah. they don't want people taking CBDs because it's a much better and less expensive and not controlled over who makes the money product it is it is hilarious and and ridiculous and almost maddening that something like alcohol can be legal and something like marijuana can't be legal and something like CBD can't be legal. That's even more ridiculous. something like Oxycontin or Vicodin can be legal. Mm. It's just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So obviously it's politics and it's money and this and that. But um, back to the sticky vapes, we made a CBD pen and, and for the longest time, like I thought maybe it's just a placebo. Maybe it's just a placebo. And I started giving it to people and, and, and even Duddy, my partner in, in the band, they've been using it. He's been working on his house lately and he's like, dude, I just... I didn't take any Aleve or any Tylenol. I just wanted to see if the CBD pen would work. And he's like, my back doesn't hurt anymore. You know, it's, it's great. It works really well. A lot of MMA fighters are using it. Mm. A lot of NFL um, players are using it because they'll push Vicodin onto a football player, but the guy can't go home and smoke a joint. To, to relieve his pain. That's yeah, crazy. That is. If anybody should be allowed to smoke weed, it's NFL players. Good God. It's ridiculous. It's insane. What they Ath put themselves through for yeah, our entertainment. Athlete. Yeah, any athlete. Um, so we do have just a pure CBD pen for you know just that. And then I have a really, really nice sativa that is just kind of – you can smoke it all day. You're not going to get super, super high. It's really nice and fun and light. And then we have an indica, which is more like Duddy's world where you're, you're going to be put on your ass. Can I ask something? <laughs> so you have judged at cannabis contests. Well, I have not. I don't okay. think, I don't think I'm, a, I'm that caliber. I, don't, I, think, I feel like uh -huh. Duddy could – judge but i don't think i'm that caliber of a smoker i'd be Rob. like i smoked the winning one of the winning strands right was it was, a sativa or an indica it was a i think it was a hybrid or i can't remember because it didn't have a name it just had a number so we really didn't know i was fucking uh, i was <laughs> the most high i've been in a long time you had a dirty head <laughs> yeah yeah you know the uh, high times uh, folks. They, nice, uh, yeah, nice. Save the mic there. <laughs> yeah, the high times folks Such are actually clients on our festival software. So it's always interesting to see the stats of their their volunteers. But, but you know? here's the question I've always had, and I guess you can't answer. But you probably have the same question. Whatever strain you're smoking, the first one you smoke of the day is yes, going to have more of an impact right. on you. How can you, How you fairly know? judge this? The uh, in, in suing like, the, can you only judge like uh, through a three day process? Like every day, I, I something think new? it's I think it's over like weeks and weeks. Oh. I think they send them in, you know, and then uh, at the end of the year they'll be like, okay, I think the guys get to sit on it for a while. Like, hey, I'm going to smoke this today. Mm -hmm. Okay, tomorrow I'm going to smoke this. And then like yeah, different it, situations. Like, okay, today I'm going to sit myself in, in front of the pantry. Tomorrow I'm going to go to the movies. Yeah, you know? I guess it could be very gotta, subjective. Gotta, gotta, but I'm sure I'm sure w w where it is today and just how they, they're farming it and, and crystals and certain elements in it. I'm sure there's it's, it, there's so many more levels than just how it makes you feel. I'm almost positive. Yeah, there's That has to be. I don't know, but... It, what I would think is there's a lot more that goes into them picking a winning strain rather than just like, oh, it just felt the best, you know, or tasted the best. Or Would you rather a really good tasting weed that sort of gets you high or like a nasty weed that gets you like uh, puts you to Pluto? 
Uh, it just depends on where I'm at in the day, really. But what? I'm more so like I like lighter sativas that I can kind of smoke throughout the day. Can you perform high? No, I don't actually. No, I don't. I'm I'm a recreational smoker. Duddy is a a functioning smoker. <laughs> I just like to gauge. I like to gauge my smoking against my friends because a, a normal person would say that I smoke a lot of weed. But me, compared to my friends, gotcha. I don't smoke a lot of weed. <laughs> <You know laughs> Some people saying? smoke weed in the reggae-sounding community? Nobody smokes weed it's, in the reggae-sounding community. Nah, that's that's a myth. But is it your no, release right no, when you get off kidding. stage? Uh, yeah, yeah. That's it's kind of my yeah. Like I use it more so as like a reward or something like that. If I'm gonna chill afterwards, I smoke. I don't, I'm not really a function because like when I write, a lot of people it makes a lot of people more creative. It makes a lot of people more even sharper. Um, but for me, it just relaxes me. You know, I like I forget lyrics and stuff on stage, and when I'm in the studio and they want me to write verses, if I'm high, I'm just gonna end up playing an Xbox. Yeah, How's that play time. out in the studio? Uh, Exactly that. I mean, it's you're you're talking about the Xbox and whatnot, but do you use uh, it functionally? Yeah. How, do you, is no, I, I don't. I don't. Even I just, then. Yeah. No. No. What about I, composing? Uh, yeah. If it's music, if it's a music day, definitely, because one hundred percent, you can definitely get into some zones and and feel things differently and hear things differently. So that does work. But when I'm when I'm as a as a songwriter and a lyricist and and a rapper and and coming from that world and like really really wanting to be super super on point with my just cadences and wordplay and kind of the math of of how I'm setting up my verses I seem to do better you know just when I'm sober how's the studio world changed since you guys started from the beginning time to to now um the experience is that has the studio always been very serious or is it a party in the beginning and kind of that's interesting it's it's i'm glad you asked that now because it's changed it almost changes every album cycle the, the first album that we did any port in a storm it took us a year to write we worked with two producers five to six days a week in the studio and we were 18 no we were 21 and we had no idea what we were doing and they were like telling us you know this isn't how a song should be this is how a song should be and we'd fight back this and is say, with warner brothers too right yeah this is when we were on warner brothers is that why you're a young band and you're on a big label so they're more in a position to kind of assert themselves upon you yes and we were very you know when you're 21 you think you know everything and, and so we were very we would fight with them all the time and we'd pull our hair out this is overproduced no it's not you guys are tripping like what are you doing to my vocal all this and we were wrong we were completely wrong we learned so much about songwriting and structure and how things work but at the same time there was some things that they were wrong about so there's a fine balance of of being an artist but not having a closed mind and wanting your art to be different and original but not completely shutting people out that might be very stuck in a certain cookie cutter way of a song should be three minutes and 30 seconds because radio likes it like that and you should make sure you have three choruses and you should make sure you have a bridge when we're like fuck that fuck this we're gonna do whatever feels right which a lot of big songwriters will say also yeah so we're, we're still kind of on the just do whatever feels right but usually there is some sort of formula that that feels right so that's the first album that was just we learned the first album that's all we did was learn the second and third album we kind of felt that we we were more comfortable as players, as songwriters, so we kind of went out on our own, did our own thing with some friends, and and kind of produced and got who we wanted in and wrote them. And then the last two albums, we wanted to go write with people that we've never written with. We did kind of like a speed dating thing. We went up to L.A. and just had like <laughs> 20 writers slash producers come in and, and write, you know, 30 songs and 
20 days or something and it, that was kind of draining it, it was it was it was like speed dating because some of them weren't cool like were you, you looking for something though yeah, yeah how do you keep it all yeah. cohesive when there's that many cooks right that's what we were worried about but we were just looking for hey man we've been we know that we know that we can keep writing this style of music we know we can churn out another 10 albums of just dirty heads albums but like we want to grow and we want to evolve and we don't want to just keep doing the same album so we wanted to get other brains in because we 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 leave the saying is leave your ego and your shoes at the door we don't have any egos we're open-minded if somebody comes up with a good idea that's fine we want people to come in and push us and 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 help us evolve but at the same time some people just don't get it uh there we got with writers that just probably hadn't even listened to reggae, but they just said, oh, sure, we'll get in. Maybe we'll make a hit. And everybody's talking about hits, and everybody wants a single, and you're just like, ah, oh, this is no fun. Well, of course we're talking about hits. It's reggae. Yeah, oh, yeah right. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And uh, so it was just like, it was kind of draining, but, we, but this is how you have to look at it. What if, it's like dating. What if, if you don't go outside and you don't go try and meet people, you're never going to find somebody that you, you, that you can fall in love with, right? If we don't go out and write with other people, what if there's somebody in London or in New York that is just our perfect musical match that we just vibe with just perfectly and they get us and we find magic? We're gonna, you might have to go through 20 sessions that aren't fun to find that one guy. And luckily we found a couple, a couple songwriters and producers that we liked from last album. We worked on them this one, but we also did a couple new ones. And uh, then we got back in with Rome Ramirez and a couple friends that we've worked with Rome Ramirez from Sublime with Rome and he's been kind of a part of of our whole camp our whole lives and it was just so much fun and and just there was no pressure and it really is about the energy in the room and the vibe in the room because there were songs that we've written with with some producers but it it just didn't feel right and I know the songs are good and I know the songs are going to work but there's just something when you find that magic, it's a, you know you you, you got a lightning in a bottle. You know you got to you got to do it. You got to stay with it. You, and you really, I really do feel like you whatever feels right, just go with it. So this album, we we kind of pulled back on on the speed dating thing and kind of were more selective on who we wanted to work with. And what, does that get expensive when you're doing all those sessions? No, no, you don't. You don't. Char- nobody charges anything because uh, on the business side of it if they're going to write the song with us, they're going to get publishing from it. So they're going to own part of that song. So if it sells, then they, they get money. That, that would be insane. If somebody was like, yeah, you can come write with me, but just to sit in a room with me is $10,000. You'd be like, well, no, that doesn't make any sense. Cause what if we don't get anything? So it's more of a creative session. It's not a recording. Yeah, session exactly. Okay. Exactly. Like there, there's no, like it, you go into it as, Hey, you, we're, we want to write songs with you and see if something's there. If something's there, then we'll go from there. It's very you know? Nashville. I feel like it, it completely LA thing. and Country Nashville are, are that are killing it now everybody mm-hmm. nobody's in New York really anymore there was a writing scene in New York there isn't now it's it, everybody from New York moved to Nashville or everybody from LA lived in, moved to Nashville or people it's just LA and Nashville are the two probably the two biggest writing hubs in the world right now what about a follow up EP with remixes of some of the songs that were on the album and then maybe there you could use some of the other ones that didn't make the album as well and yeah we just duped everybody with a B-side album that we didn't tell everybody was a B-side album we just came out like two months ago we were, we were about oh. to write the new album and uh, I found these four songs that were finished in the, the Dropbox that we have all, all the stuff and I was like oh my god these songs are great I forgot um, I, I don't know why they didn't make the album. Maybe we just weren't feeling them at the time. And we we're like, let's just put them out. And we put them out, and our fans loved them. What's that called? I didn't. Have... It's called Dessert. Oh. Because it comes after the, the meal. Well, I love that the new album is 
self-titled, I guess, in part because it's sort of a culmination, as you explained. It's a culmination of your experience, and now you feel like the band has its own sound and has learned what it has, so that's why you self-titled it, right? Yeah, completely. And this album, we're, we're getting even more. It's This album's just more loose and fun and, and almost sloppy in a good way. Like, um, it's just very reminiscent of how the Beastie Boys probably felt when they were in their heyday. Just like, fuck it. Let's just fuck around and have fun. (laughs) And you can feel that. Every time I play music for people that I, you know, uh, respect and think have a good ear, everybody just smiles and laughs. And it's like, this is some of the best shit I've heard you do. And I think that's because we're just having fun again. You know, I think we might have been putting too much pressure on ourselves, which that's something I've been trying to work on is I just, I think I just put so much pressure on myself mentally that I need to let go of that to really start writing great things again, it, it, like when we were kids in the bedroom, you and know. You, you say that uh, you're, it's, you're free-flowing, you're silly, you're having, you know, with your writing and whatnot, but some of these songs sound like there's a little bit more meaning to them, like are you, there's more of a message in some of them. Yeah, on the last album, and definitely a couple songs, we like, we know that, that's the style of music that we like and we've also noticed that you can help people with music um at the beginning we weren't thinking about that we were just writing about life experiences and if a song felt serious or if we wanted to write about something serious it's very therapeutic so we would do it and then you know 10 12 years later you grow this fan base and you have this community and and this thing that you've started becomes it's bigger than you it's it's so much bigger than you it's not just you writing songs you start meeting people at meet and greets you start meeting people on the streets you start getting emails from people and you hear story after story after story after story about how your music has affected their life in a, in a positive way yeah. so that like is so heavy in the best way that that we're not we're not phoning it in like well, we got to have some meaningful songs on this to help people out but if I'm having an issue or something that, or I'm having a problem and I think a song's going to help or, or, or sometimes just the music might, the chords might be, you know, more minor. So then it might be darker. And then you just kind of start spinning out lyrics and be like, Oh man, this would be a cool song. I'm going through this. I'm going to write it about this. And it's crazy that you can write a song that's so personal to you about something that you'd gone through, but somebody will take it a completely different way, but it yes, will still yes. help them. And that, talk, that's you, my favorite. You talk about a breakup, but someone uses it as their wedding song. Completely, completely <laughs> yeah. things like that have happened. You're like, Oh, I'm not going to tell you actually what that song is about. <laughs> and Eddie Vedder talks about how the song alive has changed its meaning over the years because of the uh, way people have interpreted. But what you just said, I want to talk about because you directed the video for that's all I need. Right. Mm-hmm, yeah. And you chose to bring your fans in. And what you just said, maybe is part of why you were inspired to do so. Uh, yeah, completely. When we when we wrote "That's All I Need," it was it was a song that we might we might have dipped into that cookie jar too many times. We're probably not going to do that on this album. Uh, it was just a song about really who we who we are, where we came from, and like really what raised us and and, and the music and 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 where we grew up. So I wanted the the video to 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 tell that story and. There's a lot of music coming out now and a lot of bands that are blowing up through the internet and just technology and that's that's fine that's where it's going that's let's we started right when that started happening but I, I love my manager for this he he 
from day one, he said, I, th- it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that Napster's coming out because that's what happened right when we came out. It doesn't matter that... That screwed your first record, too. Yeah, totally. We, all that. He said, it doesn't matter. Nothing matters. Music's going to change. We all know that. Music's going to be something totally different in five years from now, and then in 10 years from now, it's going to be different, and then in 20 years, it's going to be different, and then 50 years, the way people buy music's going to be different. But as long as you tour and you build that foundation and you connect with your fans... You can do this. You can do this for as long as you want. We were like, man, well, we got a tour 250 days a year. This is going to be crazy. But, you know, we love it, and this is what we want to do. And I'm so glad that we did that because we can go out and, and, and play, and we've built this community, and our fans are so important because it's crazy that we might not be a mainstream household name, but we sell more tickets than somebody that – is a household name that has millions of followers on their Instagrams and their social media and their Twitter and their social media. There's bands out there that are huge online and that's great, but isn't it so much better when you can have people actually come together and really have one night, like a whole tour of just like, I just prefer, I just think it's so much cooler to have that type of fan base than it is to. And one that will travel to uh, foreign countries to. uh, And follow us around for 12 (laughs) shows and take a summer to come do like, that is so insane Uh that our music is doing that. And, and yeah, go to foreign countries and things like that rather than just being like, Oh yeah, I've, I've watched his YouTube video, you know, a thousand times. But on that note though, so lay me down came out and it was one of your first, what your big hit first yeah. and, and on your first album yeah and that's still bringing you new listeners and new and bringing new, new people into to hear you yeah isn't that crazy and i gotta ask you you do have people who follow you around and see multiple shows yeah that that started recently happening in the last couple of years and that and we really didn't think that people do that I'm like, man i've seen you eight times this summer and i'm like oh we don't change our set that's the next question i was gonna <laughs> say know? they must be sick of laying me down by now yeah uh so it's Great like song but come on yeah i mean i love lay me down we'll play it forever it it, it helped us so much um and we've had numerous songs that did really well afterwards that that have helped us and i, I was listening to this um one interview, I can't remember what blues guy it was, but he only had one big song, and he's still out there playing it now. And they're like, <laughs> you must be sick of it. You must be so sick of playing this song. And you're waiting for him to be like, yes, I hate it. Because I've heard artists say, like, oh, I can't stand it, but i got to play it. And he was like, no, I love it. It made me be able to play music my whole entire life. I was uh-huh. like, that's the right that perspective. Is the right attitude, that sure. is the right attitude. For the musician. Yeah, totally. So... um what, what were we saying? We're talking about so the fans that are coming to see multiple shows. Oh, yeah, yeah. Changing. Because the, the, the way that we are just... The way that we make our live show, I don't know if it's just our personalities as a as a entity as a band, but we just really like going into the we really like going into the rehearsal studio and finding a sequence of songs that is just a really really solid show where we can start off a certain way, bring it up, bring it down, have interludes, blah blah. blah. We really like it to be very formulated yeah, it, it, it just feels yeah. right and it, and it feels good because it helps our lighting guy it, the whole the whole thing the whole show just works seamlessly when we feel like everything kind of meshes and melds together the way that we feel like it should be and then when you start changing nightly some things just don't seem to work but at the same time we realize that we don't want to be now now we, we kind of have to because our fans are important and they're the ones working their asses off to pay to come to our shows and drink the 
$20 beers, you know? So if they are going to come to eight shows, you know, we need to, we, we need to, we need to switch it up for them. Hey, know? at least it's good beer at this festival. Oh yes. That's oh right. yeah. Sweetwater yeah. festival. Yeah. So, so we're, we're definitely aware of that and we've definitely been trying to like make multiple sets that we love. We, we might not do something different every single night, but we might have three or four sets that we can swap out. But you mentioned your lighting guy. Yeah, yeah that's going to go and, there, and too. I know where you're going. you have said in, in a lot of things I read that you write in colors, right? Yeah, we, yeah. I don't want to go as far as I, I can't remember what it's called, but there's people that literally can see colors, like visualize mm-hmm. colors, like almost a hallucination. It's not that. It's not that at all. It's in my mind, I get. I get certain colors like that, and they don't ever go away. Like, it, it doesn't ever change. Like, you can name off any Dirty Head song, and I'll tell you what color it, it brings to mind for me and what I want the coloring schemes to look so like. So you're working closely with a lining director. Completely. Like, if I, sometimes I'll let them go. Like, at the beginning, when we get them, I'd like to see what they do because they're a lighting guy. That's their art. So I'm not a lighting guy. They might know better than me. Um, so the way that they set it up could be beautiful and it can work, but it might just be the hue of that song that 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 doesn't feel right to me. Something that something that's more somber, that's more blue or purple, shouldn't be bright golds and bright reds to me. You know what I'm saying? So is it an ongoing process? Are you reviewing video, constantly reviewing videos, your performances, and 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 interacting with them and how you can fine tune the lights? Yeah, completely. And and we usually get it down pretty solid, like within the first week or so of, of the tour. And usually we'll go over we'll go over it before we even start because they they are light, our lighting guy Jeff is, is awesome. We've had many awesome lighting guys, but what's his name? Jeff? Yeah, Jeff. I don't know Jeff's last name. Oh, we'll find it out. We'll add it. Jeff. Jeff. You just said it. It's Jeff. Jeff. Jeff the light guy. Jeff on light, <laughs> and uh, um, but usually he he even asked at the beginning. He was like, "Here's here's your set. Write down what you know kind of colors you think should be for each song." I was like, "All right, cool." And then he makes tweaks on that, and he's done things where I was like, "Oh, that's way better than anything I could think of." But uh, even when we're in the studio, it bothers me that because when you when you do things on Pro Tools and you see them, it's a grid, and if the colors are kind of off and not fitting the song, I'll make our producer engineer changed the colors. Like if there's my vocal and it's, you know, my vocal wave and it's like purple, but the song doesn't feel purple. I'll be like, change that, change that to red for me. It's and just it, weird. It's a weird quirk. But and when the crowd sees the blue starting to emerge, they know we're going underwater. <laughs> exactly. We have a song called Under the Water. Give me, oh, give let, me, give me blues. Give me seafoam greens. Give me light. You know, don't give me a hard red or a dark or a really bright yellow. It just, you know, it just doesn't, it's visual. Music is obviously when you go see music, it's just as much visual. Depending on the state of mind you're in, too, music can be very colorful. Yeah, exactly. Under the water was the song of yours that had the most impact on me. I think the idea of being someone else's oxygen is a very, very powerful thing. Someone's going through trouble, and you feel like the life's been sucked out of you. And someone who steps in and essentially breathes light back into you with their actions and their support. Now, what what inspired that? I mean, you've you've had some addiction issues, right? Yeah, I was uh, alcoholic or a recovering alcoholic. Um, there weren't pills involved, too. Were there they? was pills. Oh, that nice. was the problem. Was the opiates? Like, so I would get, I would. I mean, this job is just like my job is to party, right? And I was already really good at partying, and I was always like the life of the party. And and, and we realized that everybody's day off, everybody's night off, 
or yeah, everybody's night off is our night on, you know, mm-hmm. like, and, and people want to party and I don't want to let people down. And when you meet fans or friends afterward to come up to shows, you want a shot, you don't want to say no, no, right. I have a show tomorrow. And, and it's just very easy to party and get caught up in that. It's not looked down upon. I'm in a band. I'm a lead singer of a band. You're oh, Jared, to Jared's party. drinking early. That's rad. I can drink early, all this stuff. So I think it just magnified a problem that I probably would have ran into, or I might not have. It, it runs in my family. Um, no, but what happened? What, what was the point at which you said, wow, I got to do something about this, and you actually did? I, I went to, I had to go to the hospital. I was just like, it, it got to the point to where I had, I couldn't get out of bed without drinking. Like, I would get up and grab a drink and get in the shower because and it wasn't like some crazy demons that i was running from it wasn't Mm -hmm. like i had a terrible upbringing my uncle didn't touch me it wasn't anything like that it was just i really liked to party and it caught up with me and i did it all the time and then my hangover so i was just i was destroying my body so heavily that my hangovers would get like crazy brutal right so all of a sudden I find a Vicodin and I find Vicodin and, and well, if I take a Vicodin when I'm hungover, I feel fine, but pills are bad. So I'm not going to get into those. And so I would get super, super, I'd get drunk and I'd party for five days. And then I would take Vicodin after that to, to wean myself off the booze and I would feel fine. And then when I'd run out of Vicodin, I'd start having come downs from the Vicodin. So I'd start drinking again. Oh my so goodness. it was just this big, let me, let me ask big you a question. circle. I've, I've got a family member that's going through exactly something similar without the pill side. Um, his biggest problem is he goes in, he goes from the binging and he can't just dry out because if he tries to, he's, he needs to go to, to, you know, to the, what do you call it? To, Rehab or, or rehab or, or, or the place where you just dry out. Drunk like, tank. Yeah, that's dry. anyway. So you go to get dry for like two days in a in a center. Oh yeah, right. You know, it's miserable. It's the worst. Otherwise, you need you need the help. Otherwise, you could really hurt yourself. But how, what would you say to someone like him that's now been been you know out of a out of rehab or whatever it might be for a couple of days and you know has been alcohol's out of the system and can can be sober and can look back and say, holy shit, like I have a problem. Yeah. How, how do you how do you what they go through something though where all of a sudden they needed th- they need that drink. I can I think I can do it. I, I can have one drink. How do you stop that one drink? How you did you stop that one drink? Well, well, I'm just very. Uh, luckily, I, I I'm very honest with myself. You know, like you can, a I was we were on Loveline and this helped me so much. I was like I was talking to Doctor Drew and uh, I was like you know so in like ten years can I have a drink? You know, fifteen years can I have a drink? And he's like, no, you you you've what you've done is you've changed the neurons in your brain. You've changed the genetic makeup of your brain pretty much. I don't know if it's genetic makeup, but you've, you've fucked up your brain. You can't unpickle a pickle. That, that's, the, that's the way he said it. That's a good so, like that. so, so I just looked at it as, okay, that was a cool stage in my life. If I can't do it anymore, then fine. And it, did, it, wasn't, doing, it wasn't doing anything good. And what I would tell somebody is, is A, you have, to be, you have to be ready to do it. And B, which was really nice, is that it gets better. It just takes a while. Because you, you, it's not so much about the physical pain. It's you're mentally fucked up. For for a, a little while, even though you don't you don't feel bad and you're not going through withdrawals, but you're just like depression, anxiety, all these things that I never had. I never even knew. What are you talking about? Anxiety? I'm happy, go lucky, blah, blah, blah. But if you exercise, and people were trying to put me on antidepressants, people were trying to put me on pills. I was like, pills? I had a pill Throw problem. Why, you. <laughs> yeah, why are, you try, why are you trying to throw all this other stuff at me? I had an addiction to, to pills and booze. 
and those were the things I had a problem with, and they weren't making my life any better. And without them, my life is much better. So it was very black and white for me. It just takes a while. Mm-hmm. But really, like, I, I, I explained it as my life was very gray. L- amazing things were happening. Marriage, um, the band, everything was going good in my life, but I was completely miserable. And so I said, why? And then so I did the math, and it was because of the pills and the booze. So I took it out, and it took, you know, a good three months to six months to start feeling better and then after a year it was fine like and then and now it doesn't bother me there's wine and beer in my house for my friends and i don't think twice about it that was a stage in my life that i that i went through and it's over now and i had a fucking blast i probably partied more in the 15 20 years <laughs> that i partied than people will in their whole entire lives so i'm not worried Tenfold. about it i'm on to the next and Been it's there like, done that yeah and people well you you're not sober you smoke weed and i'm like get the fuck out of here i don't have a problem with weed i could go you say you can never smoke weed again i'd be like okay Fine, you know, the, I, I, it was just. But the mushrooms, you still the mushrooms. The only reason I say that is mushrooms I would are think, therapeutic, though. And I know, it's but like I feel take, like you'd, you'd get in a zone and just take a beer without thinking it. No, 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 I'm so. This is the thing. If you experience the hangovers and the bullshit that I had gone through because of the pills and the booze, you'd never want to do it again. It's also scary. I'm also scared of booze because of how it made me feel afterwards. But getting back to what you. To do, what I would tell somebody is it, it, it gets better. Like color comes back into your life. You'll right. get to a point where like, oh my God, this is what life is supposed to be like. I'm happy for no reason. I woke up today and felt great. Well, that's because you're coming here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you band, just forget. You know? Was the band a little bit nervous to that, oh, we, you might change, your writing might change. That's you true. Might a lot of comedians say that they're going to lose their ability to be funny when they get sober. They worry about that. And a lot of artists do too. Tell them that's not true. Tell no, them right it's now. not true at all because, we, A, we found in the studio – I keep saying A and B a lot. But, but we found in the studio that if you get drunk in the studio, you come up with garbage. You think it's the greatest at the time. We, there's many nights where we all got plastered in the studio. And then you listen to what you made the next day and you're like, this fucking sucks. And then <laughs> you play night, and, right? and you play really – you play shows and you get super tanked and you're like, that was the greatest show ever. And then you see a video and you're like, oh, fuck. So nobody was ever worried about that. Um, the guys were great. They were super supportive. The, the guys totally helped me out. They got it. You know, Everybody knows it's just it's so easy to fall into that trap that's why it's so funny and i have nothing against people that that drink i have nothing against alcohol it's genetic for me it yeah, runs in yeah. my family and that's another thing is some people just it's not it, they would have to work really hard to become alcoholics and other people you're just going to be an alcoholic just because it's in your fucking it dna comes naturally. it's just in your genes that's just how it is you know you can't sire and hire you can't put out the fire it burns down people, oh, 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 my soul, and just so you know, well, it burns for you, and just so you know, and I hope you do. It's like everywhere I go, I'm always waiting till I'm right back with you. You know I miss her when she's gone, but when she's here, I know her loving is true. When you were under the water at your worst, who was your oxygen? My wife. My, My wife. wife. Yeah, couldn't I could not like just I can't say enough good things about about that woman. Well, it, you got ten just, minutes. Go. You know her last name, right? I don't. Damn it. 
Oh, I have it. I ordered her online, <laughs> and it just said Kate. You know, yeah. I did a mail order bride once. Problem was, it came as a male. <laughs> that was good. It's okay. The president does it. Why can't we? I think a lot of people don't. I think a lot of people are scared of getting sober or coming out and telling people because they don't think they're going to have that support. If you don't have support of your friends and your family, it might be a really hard thing. But I, I don't see a lot of – like people are just scared. It, you're never going to get better if you're not ready to do it yourself. That's why it's it's hard for me to say, well, when I see other people, well, I'm going to do an intervention and I'm going to help my friend and I'm going to and be like, man, it's not going to work. The only person that can help that person yeah. is themselves. And do you feel that – I mean, a lot of times people really – they really do have to hit rock bottom. Yeah, yeah, they do. And everyone's rock bottom. It, it was funny because yeah, I I told a friend of mine that is sober now, and and he I was asking him like, man, you know I've hit rock bottom. He was like, get the fuck out. Your rock bottom is nothing. You don't you don't even do cocaine. You've never done heroin. You haven't been sleeping in a in a drainage ditch. You've never fucking done this in Tijuana. And I was like, that's what you were doing. He's like. That's rock bottom. I was uh, like, oh, I'm fine. <laughs> I was like, I'm good. I just drank too much. All right, later. So the uh, oxygen is also about the addiction as well, right? Yeah, yeah. That that I was going through through that at uh, during that that um that album cycle. So that album was was pretty therapeutic for me. It was really nice to be able to kind of get that air that stuff out, and, and but do it in a vague enough way that people weren't just like, oh god, this is depressing. Maybe they could take it. I wanted to do it in a way that people could take it for what they wanted to take it. Also, and is it a, be, was it a catharsis for you to write that, or was it painful? A little bit of both. Under the water was hard. Under the water was was hard in a really in a. It was very emotional for me, but it was in a really good way because I never thought about. I knew I, I wouldn't – I never thought about killing myself or actually doing it. But you, you – when you're going through withdrawals and your brain is so fucked up and it's so unhealthy that I understood why people would kill themselves. Like you, you – that I was literally there like, I oh, I get it. This is the deepest, darkest part of depression. If I had to live for years and years and years and years of this, it's probably exhausting. You'd probably just like, dude, I can't take it anymore. And that's what was really gnarly for me. And that's what was really emotionally and, and for me. And, and just having my wife there and just being a fucking angel and not giving up and like yeah. taking the shit that I – and I didn't put her through anything necessarily – like I wasn't a bad person. I wasn't beating anybody up. I wasn't like I wasn't a, a bad drunk necessarily to where I was mean or anything. I was just really fun. And and I, I at one point I wasn't even drinking to get fucked up. I was drinking just to function because I couldn't drinking without to prevent it. get the hangover. Drinking yeah, to prevent yeah. That, so uh, detox. All, all that shit just wrapped up into one. <clears> and, and riding under the water was cool. But but that's why under the water was emotional because it was me. Like, should do I really kind of put this out there that like. I was even I wasn't thinking about suicide like I was going to do it but I felt it like I got it I understood it and it was very surprising to so many people because I feel like I have been that that person that they would go to to you know have a good time and I was the person that could could lift them up and very positive and very optimistic and, and that's how I've always been and that's how I even tried to be through through all the shit that I went through and it was good and you just have to be you have to work on your mind as much as you have to work on your body like getting back to when everybody tried to put me on all these doctors tried to put me on antidepressants and i just said fuck off i did my own research and i realized that and i read and um i read a lot i read a lot about the brain and and the body and you can really change it's just i think a lot of people are lazy just eating healthy exercising five days a week 
and 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 reading and meditating and reading books that are about that and and just kind of self-improvement but in your mind um you can work out your mind just like you can work out your body you can go to the gym for your body but you can also go to the gym for your mind right and i did both um and it was it was life-changing you know centering yeah and i'm just i just feel i've never been i've never felt better i've never felt happier i've never felt more focused and uh it's just funny it's like it's like having a bad girlfriend you know it's like having that one girlfriend that just had you by the balls for some reason and and you were with her for so long and your friend stopped hanging out with you and and then you break up with her and then you're like why the fuck was i with that chick in the first place why didn't you tell me uh i did kind of you remember i stopped calling it yeah it's like that so you look back and i'm just like oh whatever and I can still have fun, you know. Remember, I, can I remember still have... I only came to your house when uh, she's not there. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> we never went on dinner dates. Well, those doctors, you know, they push those antidepressants because the reps from those companies bring them such great lunches. I was just gonna say because they get fucking trips to Cabo for free. Oh, I was in that field, and I, one of the products was to save their patients' money, especially the Medicare ones. It was a, it was a pain a cream painkiller that would save their patients' money. Jesus Christ! But they a lot of them were like, okay, well, get a lunch when it's like, no, we're we're cost conscious. We're keeping our costs down. Yeah, we're trying to do something for your patients so it's covered. And some listened, but most didn't. And yeah. I come from a medical family. I have a lot of respect for the medical community. No, me too. I, I have no. But my yeah, father was a doctor in a different time, and and he would take the reps out. I mean, he wasn't looking. To, well, whatever. It's well, really yeah. sad in the med- what's going on in the medical. Community. It is, and, I, and I'm not. Marijuana. I'm not knocking uh, the the whole all, all doctors or anything like that. Neither am I. Um, but because the, there was one doctor that that told me he's like, hey man, Xanax and and all these Prozac and all this stuff for for what you're doing, it, it's not going to help. It's just putting a, a band aid on a bullet wound, pretty much. You know, it's just going to help you for the time being. It's not a solution. He's the one that taught me that I could train my my brain like I could my body in the gym Mm -hmm. you know he's like you can literally change the neurons in your brain we can change the way you think you can change the way your brain is actually firing and i was that that was so i think that's what helped too is the science i love science so the science of my brain i almost just like went outside of myself and i wasn't even looking i wasn't even thinking of it as me i was thinking of me almost as this weird like experiment that i could just see and then it was just very interesting but it was nice to have a doctor be like dude pills aren't the answer for some people maybe but this they usually aren't you know i hate pills i don't even take aspirin he hates pills so much he won't even fucking drink a pilsner (laughs) (laughs) i want to use that's all i need (laughs) that's good uh, yeah, one I got dark. Sorry, sorry, everybody listening. <laughs> no, thank you. It's, uh, I appreciate your honesty. There are other musicians we want to talk to about uh, addiction more. Uh, but they a lot stayed, of them are that's like when they end the interview and they throw the mic down. They said, "I don't know what they said." It's a real yet. thing, dude. Fuck it. It's a real thing. A lot of people go through it. It's like if I can help people, if I can inspire people, then that's great. I'm not ashamed. You know, it's it's it happens, dude. Alcohol is fucking gnarly. That's why it's so funny that, to me that weed is not legal, but like a gnarly poison that if you can't do it moderately, it is a poison. Yeah. Yeah, cocaine and tobacco are the most disgusting ones. I don't want to get into that. I, I want to <clears throat> ask you this. That's all I need. First of all, he talks about old mixtapes, and there's a Scarlet Begonias reference in there. Yeah. And then I learned you come from hippie parents in Sunset Beach. Was, yeah. Was that for your hippie parents? Yeah, that whole that whole song was just kind of about that area. I was born. I was born in singing. There we go. <laughs> in uh, yeah, in Sunset Beach, California, this little tiny sleepy surf town. 
in my apartment. My parents were so hippie that they like didn't even go to the hospital. They just had me and my brother in the bed. In the bed or in the bath? Because that's real hippie. I think it was in the bed. Okay. On the bed. Wow. Which is gross. <laughs> they threw out the sheets? Probably. No, they I made a slip and slide. Placenta slip and slide. Do they eat the placenta? Because that's supposed to have health benefits. No. That's like a... Yeah, you keep it in a little thing, right? Or you keep the uh, baby cells or whatever. Next to my tonsils. Oh, some ears, pasta. I don't know. I don't know. My mom, has a, my mom has a couple jars, mason jars. So you got my tonsils, my testicle, my placenta. You know, I'm only have one testicle, right? I didn't. Wasn't not really interested. Who knows? That's why I'm so testy. So were they deadheads, man? Were they deadheads? Did they like the girls? No, I, they weren't deadheads. They were like, um, they were like into some deep. It was like folk that nobody's ever heard of. Like this guy Jeff Muldare, and like every time I'm like, hey, does anybody know Jeff Muldare? They're like, nope. I'm like, okay, weird. Um, <laughs> Is that the one Maria married? I don't know. Maria Muldar? Sang a big, uh, one of his songs he did a remix of Brazil, Want to Be a Sailor. It was just all like very obscure folk. But I mean, they were in that genre. They're in that genre. They're in the, you know, hippie flower children. But they they never, my dad said he never really got into the into the dead. But I listen to a lot of uh, obscure folk and a lot of it's lyrically heavy. So do you think at a young age you were drawn to lyrics? Uh, yeah, well, <clears throat> definitely. I, I mean, it was like a lot of Joni Mitchell and a lot of like storytelling. My dad really likes, even Arlo? now, he, he looks like um, a... Arlo Guthrie? Yes. And what what else is You've got to turn him on to Milk Carton Kids then. Uh, I can't remember. It was just always a lot of storytelling, which is really cool. Um, and I never thought I would be a musician until I met Duddy. So I had no nobody in my family, like even my extended family is a singer songwriter plays guitar nobody even plays instruments aunts uncles cousins everybody in my family not one of them knows anything so about when music. did you start when i met duddy i met duddy at a party and he had these rap mixtape like wannabe they were jokes it was like weird al joke <laughs> gangster rap tapes about like beating off in the tub and making jellyfish and shooting ak-47s that only shot dildos and like having chicks with eight tits that were bigger than uh you know Navy ships, but you know, it was just like these hilarious raps that sounds were like your biography, Seth. So hey, dumb. That's and two I'm, live Jews, if you remember. Two live Jews. It, that's what it was. <laughs> I'm dying. I'm laughing so hard. <clears throat> Go over to his house, become friends, and we had this big crew, like this Wu Tang crew. We wanted to be Wu Tang, but in a funny way. And there was like 12 of us. Then there was 11. And then there was 10. And then there was nine. And there was eight. And everybody just stopped coming. <laughs> and it was just me and Duddy just writing music. And then we were like, man, uh, well, let's just like actually write like music, music, normal music. And then we started doing that. And I was just the rapper. How old were you when you first met Duddy? I was 16, 15 okay. or 16, yeah. And uh, So now the rapping thing. Well, so let me ask this, though. Yeah. The, I was really hey, Are we seeing, you started, <clears throat> you come from that. But reggae, reggae, reggae gets out there with the music that you're putting out. Now you're kind of bringing back some of this, uh, some of this, um, some of the rap and some of the hip hop elements to your, your, your new album and your current album yeah and, well the one big thing before even before i met duddy what we had in common was we both were drug dealers uh we both just weed right yeah it sold lots of copious amounts of of weed it's just weed that's okay <laughs> yeah nothing wrong with dealing back. weed <laughs> and uh cocaine no 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 <clears throat> and um we both really liked reggae we both really like hip-hop like we were obsessed i was obsessed with vinyl like we both had a vinyl collection by like 16 of old yeah, reggae. i loved that, that israel vibration you cite as an influence I don't oh know that. dude I love the crosby vibes, stills and nash he, of jamaica yeah um <laughs> we had we had like just a lot in common when it came to music and then and you know certain bands like beastie boys and tribe called quest and um you know 311 sublime all these bands we were like oh wait 
these people are blending reggae with hip hop and all these other things. We can do that. That's fun. We like all those things. Sublime was your favorite, right? Sublime, Even at a young age. Sublime was our, we were obsessed with Sublime. Obsessed with Sublime. Yeah. Big influence. Probably that, that and like Wu-Tang. It was like all day. But I want to talk about the rapping when you first started doing it in public. Where was that? I used to, I used to memorize Wu-Tang verses. And then I would just do those to, with like Duddy over guitar parts, and then and then we started doing it in his garage, not in public. Then we started doing his garage, writing and our re- recording our own. But they were all funny; they were all just jokes. Then everybody left. Then we started writing our real ones, and then we started playing like coffee shops and friends' birthday parties and stuff like that. Ever bar mitzvah? Yes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Duddy's bar mitzvah. Some of these funny raps, though, are you now bringing those back into your current music? <laughs> And if not, why? I ha- yeah, I, I don't think I've I don't think I've recycled any of them, but I still feel like we're still making just ridiculous raps. There's a couple lines on each album where I'm like, I can't believe I said that, but people love it. But let's keep and it's it fun. Let's keep it real. Okay, kind of like <clears throat> more in the past with jazz. It can be an uphill battle being a white guy rapping, right? Yeah, yeah, but it, it was so like it was so, it, to me. To me, growing up, and, and there's people that are like, oh, you're a culture vulture. It's like, well, that's what I grew up with. And with the, between the internet and, I mean, the world is just one big culture now. And music is just so accessible that it's it's not just one area of, it's just with with the internet and how, and how small I've realized the world is. I think it's cool when people take things from other cultures respectfully. Um, I never thought of it that way. And and the, oh, one, the one thing is, A, there was, you know, yes, numerous, numerous artists that, that were coming out that I was listening to. But one of the biggest, arguably the biggest hip-hop, art, uh, hip-hop groups that got hip-hop into mainstream were the Beastie Boys. Like, from day one. Rick Rubin was, like, the godfather, you know, kind of, of hip-hop and production. They're all white dudes. And I just never thought about it. I just didn't ever think about it. I never thought, like, it was only for blacks or only for black people, only African-American, and this is only for whites and blah, blah, blah. It just only never... for the East Coast. No, 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 I meant the West Coast. Yeah, it just never, like, that doesn't fucking register to me. Something it's just not, fucking I'm silly. I'm talking about, like, when you're in the room rapping... Yeah, you know when you were young and you start performing in front of racially mixed crowds, and did you do any of those where you're sharing the mic and you're going to any of the competition, any of that kind of stuff at any point? Oh yeah, I mean like we hung out like we're Huntington. It's like Huntington and Long Beach, so it's like I, I had a, a lot of friends and we would go to the we we do. I wouldn't battle. I would never do. I'm not. I'm not good at freestyling, but we'd go to like these cafes that would have a DJ and you know, there'd be guys freestyling and I'd go up and spit my stuff. My friends would go spit that spit theirs. And I might be the only white guy in there, but nobody gave a shit. That was what's that's why I, my generation that nobody gave a shit that I was white. And maybe it was cause it's California and it's just more liberal. I, I don't know. It just never, it never until you're the first person that's ever asked me that. And I'm kind of taken back by it cause I, I've never thought about it. Nobody's it's never, come across i've never thought about it and we i think we blended so many we weren't just i don't think i would feel comfortable just doing like it's not real if i did a gangster rap album it's not real if i did a trap album it's not real that's not me that's not who i am that's not where i come from that's not i I would feel uncomfortable in doing that because at least what i'm saying in my verses are real and I'm not talking about shit that I haven't experienced or that like I'm not telling you I have big cars and that I shot a guy and then I got fucking this and that and right. money and bitches and blah 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 that's not 
real. And I get that it's entertainment if other people want to do that because I love that shit. But for me, I would feel uncomfortable, you know, singing about that or rapping about that. So at least what everything I've been doing is at least is real. And as long as it's real, I think people can respect it. And I totally agree with it because I yeah. think hip hop has the potential to be something initially maybe it was more divisive but i feel like it has the potential to be a unifying force in a world that's becoming more racially torn apart yeah i mean completely that's what music is music unify is totally I'm talking hip-hop in particular well, it has it's a the particular big... strength right now completely that's I... applying to a wide variety of ethnicities Right? Yeah, I agree. I agree. And and influencing and especially, I mean, you just have to be real with it, and you have to look at at who's going to the shows and who's buying the music. It's just as much, you know, white people, uh, Asian, Mexican. It's it's not just African Americans. It's not just black people going to hip hop shows. Sure, it's not. It's just the way it is. Go a little. Go to a Lil Wayne concert anywhere. Or a Big Wayne concert. Go to a Big Wayne concert. It's a bunch of it's a bunch of fucking white you know, kids. I went to a Little Wayne concert. You know what I saw there? Who I saw there? Usher. He helped me go to my seat. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. That's good. Uh, so, so you, you encourage the fuck him, out of here. Yeah, so. continue to encourage him, Jared. Yeah. How yeah, much? Uh, do you, do you, uh, we're running. Uh, we've got all the time in the world. I just I know you no, have a set go coming up here, show, so yeah. so we can uh, we can wrap this up here if you like. But Sublime with Rome. Yeah. They're your buddies now, right? Mm-hmm. Some of them were in Sublime, right? Eric, yeah. Well, Eric and Bud, yeah. When we met those dudes, we were like shit in our pants. We met Eric and Bud before Rome had even popped into the scene. They, they would come to the studio we worked at. And then all of a sudden, this kid in this blue van starts living outside in the studio in his van. <laughs> he was living in his fucking van outside the, the van. studio. Had nowhere to stay. Down by the studio. And he was so talented. And they linked up. And, and he sounded so much like Bradley. They heard it, and they started playing together. Huh. That's why it's like, anybody wants to talk shit on that kid. And that kid's work ethic and his talent and how just how sweet of a person he is. He would do anything for anybody. Fuck you if you have a problem. Put yourself in the kid's shoes. They don't Imagine, have a problem. They just, they just want to be haters, yeah. yeah. Imagine if you were living in a van. Well, and, Rob can relate And to your that. favorite fucking band came up to you and said, hey, you want to go on the road and sing for us? Like the journey kid. I was about, I was about yeah. to say that. <laughs> You'd be an idiot. You'd be a t- fucking fuck off. To be, no, Sublime is sacred. I don't want to do that. Fuck you. You, you know, if it's fuck sacred, off. then the music should continue to be performed. Yeah, Eric right? and Bud want to uh, play the Tower songs that I'm going to play. Almond Brothers, come on. I, I mean, mean this you is... want the, this is Gail Zappa bullshit. You want the music to be performed to stay alive. How would you feel, though, if the great, if, if like, well, no, you are, you. You, you like John Mayer. Never mind. So, <laughs> In certain settings, the trio, <laughs> the little dead thing. Well, like I was saying, <laughs> go ahead. <take laughs> thank you so much Bye. for your time. Yeah, of course. Uh, have a great set here at the Sweetwater 420 Festival, and uh, hopefully we'll sit down with you again in the future. Hell yeah. Thanks, guys. Perhaps by a pool in Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Make some people do some weird shit. Bright lights on, coming up the hinge, rambling on like a Led Zeppelin. I got my sword and my pen like Mad Mordigan. Out of the abyss, starting to ascend. Top of the class, peak of the summit, throw your worries off the cliff. Watch them as they plummet, bandana and a hop. Playing while you're strumming, Bobby McGee and Duddy B while you're humming like. Don't wait for me, my friend. I'm just wasting time. Jared from Dirty Heads. We heard a lot of great things about their set. We didn't get to see them because we were conducting other interviews. One with John Phillips, Slightly Stupid's manager. Yes, interesting guy. 
always nice to uh, bond with your guest over 80s Grateful Dead to start things off. Oh, my God. Yeah, for Listen, folks, uh, you dirty head fans, you're going to want to check this out. Because you guys like Slightly Stupid. You guys are all family. John Phillips goes into a lot of stuff, but Rob bonds with him on like this Grateful Dead stuff right away, which... We were at a lot of the same shows in the 80s. Yeah. Um, but he, uh, he, this guy discovered Sublime, got behind them, even though it was very risky, as you'll learn, to, very risky to do so, but he felt that strong about their music. He poured his heart and soul into them. Also, we talk a bit about Fishbone, Slightly Stupid. We talk uh, about, uh, with the Sublime, you know, the statement he made uh, about, their, about the uh, Sublime with Rome. And right, right. They're very controversial at... Uh, you know, you know, lots of money on the line, lots of, you know, it, it's very interesting to hear his perspective. And he's a great man. He's, 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 he's a good dude. He, like, come down to his person. He's a really good dude. And he does a lot for his artists. He really cares about his artists. It's, uh, it's nice. It's interesting to, to hear how people grow their careers. And um, I think you guys will enjoy that. And it's nice because a few episodes we, we talked with Mo and they talked about how they're moving away from management and um, you know, there's a lot of artists more and more trying to do more and more things or some doing their thinking about doing their publicity on their own. So it's nice to also have an episode where we have a manager who very much uh, demonstrates why it is good to have a manager. You know, this guy really nurtures his bands and really is a, is a valuable asset for any band. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay if I read this Rob. Oh, can I review what you wrote or is it too soon? All right, we'll do it later. Why don't you read this? I like the way you read. Here you go. This is from Kevin Shapiro, the fish. Oh, right. We'll end with this. Yeah, I like uh, this. Is uh, this is uh, so? Tell first, Bob. That's the program. This is the program. Encore Atlanta was a program for Hampton '70, the uh, Fox Theater event in honor of Colonel Bruce Hampton, which had everyone from Peter Buck of R.E.M. and uh, Jake Peavy of the Boston Red Sox, (laughs) Derek Trucks, Warren Haynes, Susan Tedeschi. But anywho, uh, inside. Uh, the great Kevin it, Shapiro, the archivist for fish. And this is the first, this is like the first thing that you read in this program. You know why he's the biggest hero to me and what, what I most like about him. Those little shows he puts together that air on the fish um, when they have their own festivals. He has those archive shows. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. So awesome. Okay. Here is a, uh, what do you call these things? Uh, haiku. Haiku. This is in honor of Colonel Bruce Hampton from Kevin Shapiro Fish. Then came the sixes. Colonel Bruce at 70. The progenitor. Nowhere is now here. Herstory bout to begin. Time is truly free. Breath and intention. Peace, happiness, and Zambi. Obstructional code. Traveling outward. Elevator to the moon. Next stop, Jupiter. Colonel Bruce's birthday, the Prophet Omega knew, Zambi's master plan. Again. Is that a little eerie? Again, folks, you look at that night, please, with, with, with comedy and laughter, not with sadness and sorrow. Yeah. It's all part of the Zambi's master plan. Thanks for that, Rob. I wanted to share that with you all. Uh, Obviously, we could go on and on about that, but um, it's it's still very fresh in our minds. So we're just gonna it's gonna be in our show forever. Um, but uh, thank you all for listening. We'll be back in two weeks. Live for Live Music presents Inside Out with Turner and Seth, and it's going to be Rob. Who are we, are we going to share the episode? What episode is it? It's gonna be.
John Phillips. No, Jennifer Hartswick. Then John Phillips. All right. <laughs> well, you'll have to stay tuned to see who it's going to be. Is it going to be Jennifer Hartswick or is it going to be John Phillips? Let's have them fight it out over email. I love oh, internet fights. Oh, yeah. So awesome. Okay, so hashtag... I, I live for internet fights. It's my ha- lifeblood. <laughs> hashtag Jen or John. That's J-E-N-O-R-J-O-N. That's hashtag J-E-N-O-R-J-O-N. It's nice to hear you spelling Johns correctly. Seth had a rough day with Johns. Couldn't hold it in. All right, folks, have a good day. Like a golden child You try to go for points I try to go for style I do my city proud I try to keep it wild Ichiban, wicked one Okinawa loud I drink Guinnesses And go to dinner with my nemesis Have a couple laughs While they plot how to finish this Interested on how to get up on a wizard list Senseless, you sense I'm the sensei apprentices huh? I'm the salt up in the cut huh? Oh, you trying to play but us huh? Like a DJ turning stuff who you trying to fool? We all know that shit's unplugged. Yeah. Fucking Henderson, catch me in the mood. I ain't too cool for wrecking shit. Stoners on the loose, call that shit a hippie flip. And we just getting going. Yeah, this shit's just my starter kit. I'm on a good one, real fucking good one. I'm feeling brand new. Yeah, I'm talking redone. You're talking about me, talking about the real one. I'm out with Jenny tossing rocks at the building. Holly stoned all that shit. So fly, call me pilot. MCs get a tourniquet. Body bag that murder vic. This evidence is evident. We stampeding elephants. We crash shot on King Bed. Y'all bitches. Soft like pillow Here's a mouthful of cockney Said you want a ring and you think that I'll drop me Just for some pussy that'll bust out a box spring All of the times that you tried to off me The tables are turned and now the music is offbeat You wanna be back so you can kiss 
kissing me softly I better jack off in a sock with some hot tea I'm over and out well, like a walkity-talkie I'm leaving now, bitch, try to stop me uh. so cool.